Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy weather Gonna kick old trouble Out the door Beat out old trouble and drunk Beat out old trouble and drum Beat out old trouble and drum And kick old trouble out the door Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum And kick old trouble out the door Kick him 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 out the Uh, my name's uh, Joseph Toscano. We're hosting Radical Australia from uh, the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. It's 10am uh, on Friday, the 6th of December. And uh, there'll be a lot of extraneous noises, trams, tourists, school kids. It's the beating heart of the city here. And in front of me, I've got a, an old gentleman, about older than I am, sitting in a chair with a leather hat and a bit of a parker and a blanket over his uh, legs. And I'm just wondering what this is all about. Now, I'd like to introduce Dave Mackay. Hello, David. Hello, Joseph. Now, David, um, what are you doing here in the steps of Parliament House? Uh, Very briefly, trying to raise awareness about the seriousness of uh, climate change and how it's going to affect all of us in the next few years. You're trying to raise awareness. You realise nobody cares. There's some truth in what you're saying, yeah. That uh, I would say nobody. I do, and I, I think others do, and, and uh, that's what ra- raising awareness is about, is trying to deal with all right. those who don't care. Okay. But how are you doing that? Are you, are you part of a wider movement? Uh, I'm working with uh, Extinction Rebellion right. uh, around the world. Mm-hmm. I had never personally even heard of Extinction Rebellion until uh, two days before the hunger strike began. Hunger uh, strike? That's what I, I'm on at the moment. I'm part of a, a global hunger strike with right. Extinction Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a global, a global initiative? It's a global thing. I mean, it started with about 500 people around the world. Right. Uh, and it, it was set to go for seven days right. uh, with the option of some going longer. So here in Australia, we particularly had uh, one member who went for 10 days. And who was that? Uh, and that was Daniel Bleakley. And he was here on the steps, wasn't he? was he? here on the steps, yeah. yeah. And, and I was there um, with him. Um, you and you it, started somewhere else in Melbourne, didn't you? I did. There was, there was a mix-up. A mix-up, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, like I said, I hadn't even heard of Extinction Rebellion. And uh, I Googled it. Somebody mentioned it. Uh, actually, after watching some speeches by Greta Thunberg. Right. Um, with, a, with a bunch of my friends. Right. And uh, we were, you know, we were pretty fired up by the things she was saying. And then someone said they thought this group called Extinction Rebellion was doing something. So we Googled it and uh, actually got the, the London office. Okay. And they said, uh, this was on Saturday before the hunger strike. And they right. said a, a global hunger strike was starting on Monday. Monday, right. And I said, wow, wouldn't that be good to get into that? And I asked around the room uh, and there were uh, 15 of us there in the room. Uh, how many people would like to uh, be a part of that? Well, what we do is we say, you know, from one to ten. You know, hang how on, we hang on. I'm yeah. Most people don't have one friend. What we do with fifteen people? Okay, that's uh, a story. You, you, that's a story too. Well, tell us about that story. All right, I'm I'm, I'm part of a kind of a, a world network of uh, freaking Christians. I think is probably the best vegan way. Vegan Christians, right? Describing us. Yep. Um, 
we've been pretty quiet politically for uh, a long time. I, I think we're kind of cynical, cynical about everything, <laughs> cynical about the churches and cynical about uh, politics. Right. Um, but trying the best we could to actually basically live out a lifestyle that's consistent with the ideals we preach. So as freegans, it means we, uh, we live as free as possible from uh, spending money. Um, but also as Christians, uh, we refuse to work for money. Um, most people not realize that was one of the most uh, fundamental things that Jesus taught. Is um, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. You got to choose which. And how long have you been uh, living this lifestyle? I've been living that way for 45 years. 45 years. I have. Yeah. 45 years. Yeah. Look, I'm going to ask the obvious question. Yeah. How do I survive? How do you live without money? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There, there are anecdotes. You know, some some quite interesting ones mm-hmm. and uh, uh, sometimes humorous ones about how how. You know, you know, things might be described as miraculous because of the timing. Uh, but mostly people give donations. Um, and, uh, you know, that pretty much keeps us going from day to day. Um, probably because we're freegans, uh, we don't take much money. Right. You know, I think we probably, on the average, would uh, survive on about $40 a week. $40 a week, yeah. So you'd think you start allowance was a luxury. What's that? You'd think the new start allowance was a luxury. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. In, in fact, uh, because of my age, my wife and I get an old age pension. Right. That supports the whole team in Australia. Whole team. I mean, we're like, all of us, retired, you know. Anything extra we get, we can then put into what we call projects. Right. How many of you would there be in Australia? Uh, at the moment, uh, there's about 15. 15. Yeah. Right. And, and did your... Did your uh, people from your congregation, they come down with you to Flinders Street? They did. That's what happened. We see, we had uh, kind of like a, a rolling reunion. You know? right. uh, so we had somebody there from Argentina, mm-hmm. uh, somebody from um, Mexico, from the U.S. Um, can't remember now. Somewhere else. Anyway, they, they anyway yeah. yeah, and so they, they also said, you know, like, like I started to say earlier, we, yeah. we asked you know what's your what's your what we call it, your burden between one and ten, and uh, you know I thought well there might be a few that be six or seven. So right, right. I mean I knew I was pretty keen, yeah, yeah. and they were all eights, nines, and tens. You know they were just immediately, uh, and it it could have been just something you know impulsively, but no they they stuck it out. They went the distance. So. Well, they did the seven days with you. Yeah. Right. Seems like a little bit like a conversion on the way to Damascus, doesn't it? <laughs> when, when, when you're uh, you're talking about one minute you didn't know about uh, Extinction Rebellion, and the next minute. Uh, two, three, two or three days later, I mean, they're up to our necks. Yeah, they're up, up to your necks in it. Yeah. Okay. Now, look. Uh, this is day 19 of your uh, fast. Is, is that right. correct? Yeah. yeah. What, what does that entail? Can you tell me what? Um, I mean, you've been on the steps here about well, about 10 days or 10 longer? days here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, 12 days here. Tell us about the routine. Uh, the routine is pretty routine. I guess is I, I sit here most of the day. Uh, usually uh, in the afternoon, I I uh, get on the tram, which is just across the road, and I go down to uh, my uh, uh, doctor and get a blood test. And he's checking, you know, my electrolytes and things. Like that. I, I have a heart problem, and so particularly important, I keep the potassium up. Uh, and then I come back and <laughs> a few walks to the toilet. And otherwise, I sit here and I answer questions as uh, as they come up, and uh, as I'm feeling up to it, which has been most of the time. I I had a bit of a period yesterday where I just had to sleep. Sleep, right? So you, do you sleep? Uh, yes, obviously. <laughs> I would find it harder to go without sleep yeah, than food. Right. I think. So do you sleep here on the steps, or do you make other arrangements? Uh, the first, the first night I slept out down at Flinders Street, and I, yeah. I decided, well, I think at my age, I'll just settle for you know one deprivation at a time. Right. So there, uh, we we have a little RV, and uh, my wife has been with me most of the time, and, right. and we slip off there around six or seven o'clock at night, and, uh, and then uh, reappear here eight or nine in the morning. Eight or nine in the morning. So how, how do people know that you're actually uh, maintaining your fast? Maybe you're yeah. having a free course meal when you go yeah. to the van. That's what, yeah. people, that's what people would be saying to me now as I'm talking to you. Right. Ask I, that question. I'm Ask su- that question. Yeah, I'm surprised more don't. I, yeah. I think maybe they're so I, think, I think they're polite. They're yeah. embarrassed. I'm yeah. not. Yeah. Well, you know, um, yeah, I guess I'm surprised how many, how many don't ask it and that they, they do trust that uh, I, I'm not cheating, cheating right. on the rules. Um, and I don't know how to prove it. 
uh, I was okay for the first 14 days. I was lo- losing a lot of weight. So my right. doctor would have testified to that. But something's gone wrong the last three days. And it's saying the same. I don't know if my metabolism has gone down to zero or it's the scales, you know. No, you're actually uh, you're, you're reaching the auto-cannibalization stage. You've actually um, got rid of all your excess. And now your body is starting to utilize your protein. So you may find changes in your electrolytes in the next few days. Yeah. 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 yeah well, I did have a bit of a, a bit of a t- that turn yesterday, but um, I mean, I, I, I would still be interested to see because I think one of the worries I have. The doctor said he checked and everything was okay in my lungs and, and everything, but uh, if I start retaining water, because yes. I do drink a lot of water, right? And uh, I put a. You know, you've got a cardiac condition. What? You got cardiac failure or something? Or? Uh, I've had some. Uh, uh, pulmonary emboli right, and, and right. uh, deep okay. vein thrombosis, and right. I have atrial fibrillation. So you know, you got, you got I have medication covering all that, but yeah. Yeah, the yeah. doctor said stress could right. you know, overrule the medication. Right. But this is a good way to get deep. I assume you're on anticoagulants because this is a deep, a good way to get deep vein thrombosis. Yeah, my, my feet hanging down all day. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, I need to get up and walk. I, I elevate right. my legs at night, right. Right. and it drains out most yeah. of the, the fluid. Do you think it's been worth? the pain oh yeah oh yeah and and i don't want to exaggerate the pain you know i don't think I, i'm here you know to um uh just get sympathy yeah. um you know i really i think in my own mind and probably in the minds of the public i would have thought by now i'd be i'd be suffering a lot more than i am and so that helps you know i mean it helps if people think i'm going to die <laughs> even though that's not what i want you know um, but I'm not trying to bully the government, uh, you know. I'm not trying to um, uh, force them to do anything. Uh, well, what, 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 what are you asking? Yeah, I'm, I'm just simply asking these guys to get off the fence. Right. You know, they, they, are you asking to do anything specific about what yeah. you're doing? That's right. What, I'm what asking, asking them to come out and declare the colors. Do you believe there's an emergency or do you not? And that E word, <laughs> it's like pulling teeth. Now, you've got, you've got 88 members of the uh, Legislative Assembly and 40 members of the Legislative Council. The Legislative Assembly is basically a Liberal liberal, uh, Labor, huge majority, a few Greens and one Independent from Shepparton. And you've got 40 members of the Legislative Council which which, uh, range from ultra-conservative libertarians to uh, uh, the Animal Justice Party as well as uh, uh, other more... uh, interesting people has anybody actually come down to speak to you yeah at the moment they're in recess and so some are sending emails but some have actually come down i don't care about emails who's come down (laughs) can you name names okay i'm not real good on memories but uh just yesterday uh jenny gosh so you can't remember the last name uh anyway jenny came down whose name is on the list and I spent a, a, a good long time uh, talking with me, and, and this, we, we discussed, you know, who amongst uh, the labor members would would be the most likely to have the Kurds right. to be number one. Because not one single member of the two major parties exactly. has exactly. has even written an email. Well, we've been conducting a three-year struggle for public housing, which has included ten-day vigils here and sleeping here and. 24 hours and weekly vigils and not one member of the Liberal Labor Party has bothered to come down but some of the independents have come down and the Greens have been uh, quite supportive. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that Tim Reid has been probably the, the definitely the most supportive. supportive right. uh, like he comes by it all the time, every right. day or two. Right. Uh, yeah. Now, there was another member from the Labor Party, that was Catherine Cummings, yes. um, and so I, I, you know, I have to give her full credit. She, she took initiative and just came down and said, right. you know, good luck and I support what you're doing, right. until I said, you know, could you drop me a line saying that you, you believe there's an emergency, and immediately she, she said, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to be drawn into that, you know. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the frustrating thing, you see, and I think it's why the word emergency is so significant, is that um, I, I just described it in an interview I did this morning of, of the burning house thing and you're passing buckets you know and and while anyone in the bucket brigade is saying hey you down there you know i'm doing more than you you know hey you up there you're, you're too slow they don't realize it's an emergency 
Because when it's an emergency, you stop all that point scoring and, right. and you get, get get busy and get on with the task of, of getting that fire out. But you obviously you've got an accent, but I'll go into that later on. But yeah, you yeah. do understand that in Australia, most of our major leaders don't actually believe there is a climate change problem, let alone an emergency. Uh, you you realise that. I mentioned that this morning, that yeah. we're, we're, we're dragging Australia into the 21st century against uh, a lot of opposition. Uh, because, because I'm get, starting to get a little bit of international coverage and they can't understand why would, why would anyone go to so much trouble just to get 12 individuals to say, I, I think there's, there's an emergency. So you're trying to get 12 out of 128. Right. Less than 10%. Less than 10%. To say there's a climate emergency. As anybody said, there's a climate emergency. Yeah, we, we've got uh, somewhere between six and eight. The, the other two, I think, we, we just can't locate them, but we know they're in, in support in, right. in principle. So I would say eight people. But they're all they're all the, the minor parties. parties yeah. Yeah. So, have you got any anybody who's listening to this interview? Have you got any um, suggestions what they can actually do to, uh, uh, let's say, um, activate their uh, parliament, representative, parliamentary representatives' uh, conscience? Well, this is an interesting thing. Is that uh, I, I did a call around of those those ones who gave us uh, uh, emergency phone numbers because you know I wrote to all of them. And, you know, you get these automated replies, I'll get back to you in eight to ten weeks, that kind of thing. Um, But some of them, a few of them say, if it's urgent, phone this number. And you don't necessarily get the the member, but you get someone representing them. And and just about every time I wrote to them, oh, yes, we know about you. You know, uh, we've been getting a lot of letters from your friends. Right. So they they take notice. And I wouldn't think they're getting more than 10 or 20 letters, really. Uh, Maybe you're wrong, but... uh, Look, uh, something which... uh, I uh, ask people to do when I'm involved in campaigns, yeah. which involve the state government, is to actually get people to go to their parliamentary offices yeah. in the suburbs and around the state and the regional areas. They've all got parliamentary offices, which you and I pay for, because yeah. I do still work and I still pay taxes. Yeah. I haven't collected my pension yet, although I'm about your age. <laughs> so uh, so that's, one, that's an exceptionally effective way, because what that does is it actually puts a, a face... It's an email is an email, a letter is an, a letter, but you make the effort to actually go to their parliamentary office and say, look, this old, poor old fool's out there and he's uh, trying to highlight what's happening regarding this climate emergency. It, it, it's not hard to say there's a climate emergency, is it, really? No, no. It's not hard. I mean, it's obvious. Yes. Well, it's obvious, but, but it's not hard. Yeah. They don't want to say it because then they've got to do something about it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Now, I just want to meander. I mean... I won't say you're unusual, and I won't say you're unique, but I'm saying that path you've taken in your life is a little bit different to about 99.9999999999% of the population on the on planet Earth. So, where were you born? Yeah, you can tell by the accent. <laughs> yeah, I was born in the U.S. Where in the U.S.? Uh, I was born in New York, so that, the accent's a bit stronger there, and yeah. maybe even a little bit Canadian. Yeah. Uh, but I, I went to school in California. Right, let's, go, let's go back a bit. We've got yeah. plenty of time. This is the first interview you've had for an hour where there's no ads, no music, <laughs> no comments, no community announcements. We've got plenty of time. Because what I'm trying to do is show listeners, point out to listeners where you come from, how you find yourself at age 75, sitting in a chair in, in the cold on the steps of Parliament House on Friday the 6th of the December. So you're born in New York. Your parents, were they Americans? Yeah, yeah. They were born in New York? Yeah. They were born uh, in New York? Well, Ohio. Ohio. Ohio and New York. Yeah. Were they religiously inclined? Yes, they were. So what was their religious belief? Uh, I pretty much, I suppose, the, the whole uh, right-wing American fundamentalist right. party line. Yeah. They were part of that? Yeah. yeah. Part so of that I was movement. raised... I was raised that way. Yeah. So is this a particular name to the group that you were raised uh, It's in? a small church, a small denomination, um, even in the U.S., but it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's known as the Nazarene Church. The Nazarene Church. Church of, church of the Nazarene. And uh, right. it's, uh, my mother used to say it's, it's like old-time Methodist. <laughs> old-time Methodist. But, and as a, as a young boy growing up in New York, which I assume is a very multicultural yeah. society even, even then, yeah. what was it like being a Nazarene? Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> did you feel isolated or did you feel... Part no, of no, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, 
you know, we were pretty mainstream in, in, in general, so very, very accepted. Um, I think from a very early age, I, I wanted to do something, you know, for God, something significant with my life. So I, I took the things, the, the truth that I was hearing, uh, very, very deeply to heart. And uh, I, just, I just felt, when I was seven years old, uh, that I should be a missionary because I mean that would be the term at you would, seven. You would, at seven. That's right. Yeah. That's, yeah. You felt that was a calling. It's, I did. Yeah. Right. I, I kind of. <laughs> don't worry about the tram. Tram going by. It, there. It, it's a Melbourne problem. Don't worry. <laughs> it, it highlights that this is a live interview and it's real. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, what was I saying? Um, you had a calling at seven. Yeah, yeah. at seven. Uh, but somehow or other, I don't know why. I I just thought my parents would be disappointed. You know, if they knew that, I don't, I don't know where I picked that up. And so I kept it secret for a couple of years. Did you have any brothers and sisters? I did. I was a, there were six of us. Six of you, right. And what type of uh, work did your parents do? Uh, my dad uh, just worked as a um, machinist, I think it was, right. at, at uh, Kodak in, in, uh-huh. in Rochester, New York, and then uh, um, tool inspector or something right, like that. Right, so it's California. very mainstream. It's not as if yeah. you're, you're kind of living on some little... A religious commune in the middle no, of New no, York, no, you no. know, uh, isolated from everybody. No. You're mixing in. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I was pretty um, successful, you know, in many ways, you know, as a, as a mainstream person. I, I, no, no, was, I'm just, I want to go back, yeah. I want to go back. So, where did you go to school? Okay, um, I went to school, <laughs> number 19 school on Sword Street in Rochester, New York. So that's just a... Uh, uh, that's just a primary school. school. So yeah. when, when I was in uh, sort of middle school, yes. we moved to California. Right, how okay. old were you there? And then I would have been probably uh, t- about 12. Well, yeah. Were your parents chasing work, or was it more to do yeah. with the church, chasing work? No, no, they, they, they were chasing work. Uh, yeah. my, my dad and his brother, my uncle, uh, the two families decided we were going to... Well, because they had another brother who lived in California, right. so um, they thought they could do something better out there. And so we, 13 of us all went across the country in two big vehicles. It took us about 10 days and a lot of flat tires. And yeah, yeah. We got to California. Yeah. So uh, was this the first time you've been out of New York? I think it was, yeah. 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 What did you think as you're crossing this vast land? Oh, it was a big country. I had fun. I, I made a little map with glue, and I put a bit, little bit of dirt from each uh, state to fill oh, really? in the state. Yeah, it was, it was a fun, fun project fun underway. Yeah, yeah. I assume all the kids were enjoying themselves. Yeah, yeah. 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 No car sickness? Not car sickness, no. It was break, we broke, uh, the, the trailer broke down in the middle of a desert one day. And so we spent the whole day out there under the shade of a tree while uh, they tried to get it fixed, and it was a weekend. And so, yeah. so where did you end up in California? Well, uh, eventually in Sacramento. First it was down in, in L.A. Um, but then this, this Aerojet, the company my dad got a job with, transferred him up to, up to Sacramento. And that's where I went to high school. And did you finish high school? I did, yeah. And what did that lead to? Um, well, in high school, I did a kind of a column, you know, for uh, the local paper. Uh, oh, you were writing then? I was writing, yeah. Right. Um, also... What was Do you remember what the local paper was called? Just out of interest. Uh, was it the Chronicle, the Courier? Mm. <laughs> it, was, it was a West Sacramento paper. Right, yeah, uh, Gazette or something, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. And my little column was called the Clarksburg High Notes. Clarksburg High School is what I went right, right. to. So, so, so as a high school student, you were actually... Uh, what were you writing about? Uh, it, was just, it was just news from the school, so it was not like opinion things or anything like was that. Was this, what, 19... Uh, 1962, I graduated, yeah. and that was the same year. Uh, I, I was a newspaper carrier, a great right. entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> I, I was. I mean, my brother had the route, and uh, he was not interested, and so there was this national competition to win a trip to Disneyland. Right. And I said, look, I can do that. And so I not only won the trip to Disneyland, but I won as the top... Hang on, hang on. Let's, let's go back a step. Okay. Add us, add us a Nazarene, yeah, yeah. right, out of High school, win a trip to Disneyland. Okay, uh, I gave away the papers. <laughs> <laughs> I told them that they brought it up at, at Disneyland, and they yeah. said, "Look, you know, we want to know what's the story behind this." Yeah. I said, "It's it's it's good business, is what it is." <laughs> I said, um, "The the newspaper itself offered people a free one month subscription." Mm-hmm. Okay. The uh, uh, the competition was how many how many could I sell. For three months. So at the end of the month, I'd go around and some would stay. And then the others, I would say, look, I'm going to give you another month for free. Because uh, 
you know, I came out of my profits. I, right, like, okay. I plowed all my profits back, back in, in, and I, I kept enough for three months, three months. Right. Uh, that I won the, the competition locally. Right. But then down at Disneyland, they had a national competition, and that was based on essays, and, and right. uh, I won that. What was the essay on? Uh, actually, there's several different ones. Um, uh, uh, your essay? Yeah. Uh, several? Uh, yeah, we had right. to do one on uh, right. three famous people I admire. Right. Um, how... Uh, this is going back a ways. <laughs> something about how I would sell something. Yes. yes. Oh, I, I think uh, how is how is being a newsboy yeah. going to make me more successful? Yeah. Those are two I remember, yeah. uh, and there may have been one or two more. Do you remember the three famous people? Uh, Rafer Johnson, who was a decathlon champion uh, at that time. Uh, King David in the Bible. Oh, right. Uh, gosh, who was the other one? <laughs> no. well, I, th- I think maybe David Livingston. Yeah. Why King David? You know, <laughs> it, it was, he had a patchy probably, history, probably, that bloke. Because I was named David and I <laughs> yeah, was short. Sure. I was uh, very right. short. Sure. <laughs> and so I was the concept of David and Goliath. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it was not all that right. deeply thought out. What did you think of Disneyland? Because you came from a non-materialistic background. There wouldn't have been much to go around, would there? Oh, I, I, uh, uh, the family was poor. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would say we were not materialistic. I was, yeah. I was constantly being pushed, and that's that's one of the things that bothered me about church. Right. Uh, I sold Christmas cards. I, I, I shoveled snow in New York. I mowed lawns, and, and that's what I went to church for. Get contacts that everyone in the church felt it was their duty to, you know, uh, encourage this young entrepreneur uh, to be a good capitalist. Right. <laughs> So, you know, that helped out the family a bit. Okay. And, and all of us, there were five boys in the family, we all peddled newspapers. Right, right. So what was Disneyland like, a dream or a nightmare? Ah, oh, no, no, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Right. Um, and we lived there for a week. Right. Uh, what, the whole family or? No, 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 yeah. I, I, you know, the, the, the paper boys. There, there were 200 of us there. Right. And had little competitions and things <laughs> that went on there just <laughs> as well. Yeah. I like it, I like it. Yeah. So, uh, See, at this stage, I, I, I was still not questioning anything. I was just, I was totally... So, so, so when, when did when doubts start creeping in your mind? Well, there was a, there was a preacher that came along to a little Assembly of God church uh, uh, in West Sacramento, and uh, he was saying that uh, you could live by faith, that God would take care of you, that he and his family were doing this, you see. And I thought, wow, that sounds good. How yeah. old were you then? Do you remember? I, I was, I was uh, at least 18, right. 18 or 19. So he, he was a Frisian Christian, wasn't he? Or a prototype? Well, um, possibly. But possibly. see, he, he was like a traveling one, you see. Right. And so I went to the local pastor afterwards yeah. and said, look, how do I get into this? You know? Yeah. And he said, look, you know, uh, don't, don't take it seriously. You right. know? He's paid to do that by us. <laughs> He went to our seminary. Yeah, yeah. We gave him a salary. Sorry, he yeah. calls it living by faith. Faith, right? So uh, he wasn't I actually. Was, living, I was, I was he really, actually wasn't. That would have been pretty. I was. I was shattering. Very, yeah, just yeah. hardened. But I had that in the back of my mind because I thought, well, what he was saying actually did seem to be what Jesus and his disciples did. You know, so I was kind of hanging around. And and I must have been 19 by then because I think it was the same year I got married at 19. At 19, yeah. Right. And and then a couple of years later, my wife and I moved to Australia. Right. And and that's where the that's where things started changing. So when did you move to Australia? I have to count back. I always forget this. I, I think it was 1967. My wife remembers it for me. Was she one of the she one of the teachers we recruited when we had this teaching shortage? Or? No, 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 no. We. Uh, uh, it was quite interesting. It was that time when they w- they would give you a certain amount of money back, you know, if you uh, if you came out. And I mean, we had nothing to offer. We we landed in Sydney <laughs> with nothing. So yeah. you were the American ten pound palms. That's right, American <laughs> version. Yeah, the American yeah. version. So what? You just signed the form and off up. You arrived in Sydney in '67. We did. It was, a, it was an interesting little anecdote. Uh, if you've got the time for it. Oh, we've always got time. Okay. Um, we were praying, and we had we we between ourselves, my wife and me, had, yeah. had come to this conclusion that that God can talk to us if we just try to clear our biases and our prejudices out of the way. And so she and I, you know, Cherry, my wife and I, we we, we were praying about uh, uh, what we should be doing, and and we felt like God was saying, "Leave America, get out of there, and uh, do it before you have any more children." We had one son by one that son. by that yeah. stage. Um, and then I felt, you know, I'm, I'm glad I got it ahead of time because I shared it with Cherry. And I said, I think God's telling me 
he would even miraculously keep us from having another child to give us time to get out. Right. Sounds like trivia now. But right. that, as it went on, we discovered yeah. she was pregnant. Right. <laughs> and we had nowhere to go, yeah. you know. Uh, and it got down that she was due, then she was three days overdue. And uh, I, I got concerned and I shared with some Christian friends of mine that were fairly radical as well. And so they had three days of fasting. Um, and so then at the end of that, we're six days overdue. And I said to my wife, I, I think we've blown it. I think, you know, we've done something wrong here. I, I'm going to wait three more days. And if not, I, I think I'll just turn myself into a mental institution, you know, because, right, right. you know, I don't want to do something stupid, stupid you know. Right. Yeah. So uh, that was three days later, which was on a Monday. Uh, but on the Friday that night, uh, someone knocked on the door in the middle of the night and said they had come to give us $1,000 towards the tickets. We didn't have money just for like tickets. That. Just, just like, like that. Right. And uh, it wasn't enough to cover it. We're still about $500 short. But we thought, this is it. It's going to work. And so we went around telling some of our friends the next day. And the first person we told was a woman with a whole slew of kids in, in, in public housing. Yes. And we were just telling her the good news. And she asked, how much more do you need? And we said it. And she said, well, wait a moment. And she went to a closet and off the top shelf, she pulls it, literally a roll uh, of, um, what do they call them, American bonds. Yeah. Peels off $500 worth and says, here it is. You know? So Monday morning, we, we went to get on the, on the plane. And, uh, of course, Cherry's nine months and a bit pregnant. Pregnant, which is not, doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. And, and she'd been, she, by the way, she'd been checked by three different specialists because yeah. she, she had uh, what could have been diabetes in the right. beginning. And so they wanted to be really careful. It's dangerous to, to, to go yeah. past. So it was very definite. She was nine days overdue. So um, they say at the, uh, at the ticket counter, you know, uh, you can't get on the plane. She was holding a cold yes, front. Yes, they didn't yes, know she was pregnant. Yes, yes. But they said, uh, you have to get smallpox vaccinations. Right. Sorry, I left that out. And, and so we couldn't get on. Well, this was the third day. I said, I, I'm not settling for that. I want to see the manager. Okay. I said, I, I went to Australia back in 1962 okay. and lost my smallpox vaccination card. This, right. is, this is the world trip thing, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, they vaccinated me there. And so eventually they came out and they said, well, all right, but you have to sign this thing that you won't change your mind when you get there. I said, no, no I'll, I'll get the vaccination. We got on the plane and we were just so relieved. But we, we knew nothing. We had no contacts. We had no money. You know, Nothing. Nothing. I, 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 think, I think maybe 20 bucks or something like that. It was a leap of faith. Yeah. <laughs> so we and, get and there. And nine months pregnant and nine yeah. days over Right. And, and very, right. very tired because we're yeah. carrying our, our, yeah. our son on our lap. That was yeah. another concession yeah. we had to make because there yeah. wasn't enough seats. Yeah. Uh, totally exhausted when we got to Sydney, and uh, we got separated in the in the the queue. And I saw some commotion going on up in front with with Cherry, and uh, and our son. And uh, I got up there, and, and someone came to me very apologetically and saying, um, "I'm very sorry, but um, you know your wife cannot be vaccinated because she's pregnant. Right. But the airlines has uh, paid for you to spend two weeks at a holiday resort." <laughs> <laughs> which is which is basically North Head, the quarantine station in North Head. We had two nurses looking after us. We had all our meals. We had TV, right. telephone, everything right. to get ourselves sort of set up. So when did this delivery happen? The delivery happened two months later. Or so what would have been? She was. She was. Well, uh, they said she, the baby was early. So somebody's mucked up the dates. Ah, well, three, 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 different, three different specialists mucked, mucked up, up the dates. Or it was an 11, 11 month pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I think they mucked up the dates. Yeah. Up I'll the dates. take either one. Yeah. <laughs> now you just mentioned that you did a world trip in 62. What was that all about? That was what, what I won as the U.S. News Boy of the Year. Oh. So the two stories tied together, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, so yeah. where'd you go? Uh, it was sponsored by Qantas Airlines. So all obviously right. we, we went to Sydney and we yeah. went to... Um, uh, Bangkok, Singapore, uh, Cairo, yes. Rome, London, Vancouver, yes. New York City. Did it just shake your beliefs, seeing the world, meeting different people? No, but what seeing the world did do is, I think, sort of uh, give me a bigger picture. You know, and I, I wrote an article which they put in, uh, the, the, the company that sponsored it, it was a supplement uh, called... Uh, uh, something weekly. Anyway, went, went in all these papers, the 200 cities, and uh, and, and I mentioned in that that uh, um, it was it was an eye opener uh, to see how the rest of the world live and realize there's more than just the U.S. Yeah. And that's a that's a very serious problem in the U.S. It is a huge problem. Very very few people, not like Australia, see, because we're an island, we have to travel. You yeah. know, um, they they just feel you know so secure there and and frightened to go anywhere else. Yeah.
see. What did you do in Australia for the first decade or so? Well, I started out just working on a, a, a citrus orchard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Peter Fitzsimons? Yes. It was his dad's place. His dad's so place. I knew Peter right. when he was a kid. He was about right. eight years old then. Oh, right. And, uh, yeah, I, I worked, yeah. worked there. Uh, eventually, then, I, w- I went to Canberra. And because I had been doing some writing, you know, in, in the States when I was... I, was, I, I went to... We skipped over. I went to university for yeah. a, a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. Um, I got a job as a public relations officer for the uh, Bible Society. Right. The Bible Society. The British and Foreign Bible, Bible Society right. in, yep. in, in yep. Canberra. Yep. Um, and, and so I worked in that. And then... Uh, that's when the, the radical thing happened, I guess. In Canberra. In Canberra. That's yeah. unusual. Usually you get a nice cushy job and wait for your superannuation. <laughs> yes, you wouldn't so think that, would be that, that would be the city. Obviously you were working for the public service or a large corporate. Yeah. Well, a large corporation, the Bible Society, but they wouldn't yeah. be paying much, would they? Oh, I mean, it was fine. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't worried so about so that. So what happened? Was it a crisis? Of well, this, was this is the thing. There's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a mixed, mixed uh, uh, message in that uh, one day, somebody else in the Bible Society said they'd been to Sydney and they'd met some people. They thought, I guess they knew enough about me, yeah. <laughs> my personality, whatever, yeah. you know, just radical enough. Uh, they thought I would like to meet. And so it turned out to be the children of God. Ah, yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and they were. They were very inspiring, you know, and really radical hippies who, who suddenly brought to life this whole concept of living by faith because they were living out there on the streets. Um, not literally. I mean, they rented the place, but right. you know, they were not. They didn't have churches. They didn't have uh, platforms and pulpits and things. And it grew out of the hippie movement, which, of course, I had nothing to do with as I was growing up. Even though I knew it was there, they were like the bad guys. Yeah. So I'd put the two of these together, and and this is where you kind of get the freaking um, Christian thing, or, or I would have called hippie Christian. And uh, I, I kind of ran with that. But of course, the children of God just be and turn into a sex cult. That's right. Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned the one, yeah. I know whether I should yeah, and, that. And so Because and I remember the children of God quite yeah, well. Yeah. And I remember I was actually, they tried to flirty fish me. Yeah, flirty think, fish you, yeah. yeah 75, yeah. I think, when I was in Sydney or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. You know about flirty fishing? Yeah. yeah, I, yeah, that's, yeah. Why, that's why I broke with them. Yeah, I can see? imagine. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the media, you know, I, I, I do my best not to even mention that yeah. part of my history. It's a matter. But that's what he really does. Right. As soon as they mention, they put two two sentences together. He he was he was part of the children of God. They believe Thank in flirty fishing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it's that's all it. I believe it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand that. Yeah. yeah. So, but look, this is radical Australia. We want the truth. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and because <laughs> we all go through various experiences to make us what you are. Here you are on the steps of the Victorian Parliament yeah. House, wanting twelve members of the legislature, less than ten percent, to publicly state we're in the midst of a climate emergency, it's your 19th day of your hunger strike and obviously you didn't just wake up yesterday there are things that have moulded you, moulded your family you know, I understand you're telling me your grandchildren are here. Yes they are Well, most grandkids would, you know, be waiting for Christmas presents, they wouldn't be with their granddad on the the steps of Parliament House. Yeah well Well how did that always happen? How did I get grandchildren? <laughs> no, no. How, come, how could you drag them here? What did you do? Um, they were they were there in the room when we had the vote um, because we, we, we lived together as an as extended family with my daughter and her husband and the, and right. the kids. Right. Um, they're, they're triplets. They're all eight, well, we call them triplets. They're, they're, they're all 12 years of age. The birthdays are, are just within a couple of weeks of each other. Uh, but they're from three different families adopted yes. Yes. from Kenya. Yes. And... Um, and they put their hands up as well. I mean, they, they were, right. you know, probably more excited than anyone. And we're thinking, well, they're just seeing the novelty of it, you know. Right. So right. They, they came with us on that first day. Right. And we, we caught the, the mainstream media twice, right. uh, the AAP and uh, Channel 9. I had to go to them and say, who are you guys? Yeah, yes. They wouldn't talk to us, no. but they were sneaking pictures of the, of the kids. kids. That's right. See? And I thought, they're going to make some big uh, deal deal of cruelty yes. thing out of this. That's right. Yes. The, kids, the kids are homeschooled. Yes. They've been doing their studies, you know, right. while we've been. Here. Yes, they're doing them right now. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. They're yeah. under the umbrella. Yeah, they're working hard. Yeah. So um, we said to the kids, "This is after day three. Yes. Look, guys, you know, you're going to have to go back home oh, and yes. stay with your grandmother." Yes. Um, and they weren't too happy about it. Right. Uh, but secretly, between themselves, they said, "Let's keep on." Yeah. So they come and go. Come and go. 
anybody else been coming and going? Um, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely my wife. Yes, you know, I, I saw her on um, Wednesday yeah, afternoon. Yeah, she's yeah. been a great support, yes. and uh, and of course some of these uh, uh, freaking Christian friends. Uh, I mean, there's a few of them sort of traveling around the outback. Of, uh, sorry, uh, uh, rural Australia, rural Victoria yes. at, at the moment. Um, but the, the others uh, are are very faithfully supporting at the moment. Yeah. So, what's the response been like? I mean, I mean, I've been, I've stood, I've sat here for laid here for, for days on end, and uh, responses can be quite mixed. I remember when I came on Wednesday because it was the public housing protest. I remember this uh, chappy vehemently uh, screamed out from under his from his car anonymously as he did a U-turn, bloody, bloody fool. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you get much that. of that? Yeah, yeah. As they go around the corner, they scream out stuff. But then some of them scream out good luck too. Good so luck, yeah. Usually I can't pick out which it is. <laughs> which it is. <laughs> I smile at them all. Well, well that, that does help, doesn't it? Smiling at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you haven't been physically threatened. Uh, there was one guy uh, yesterday, yesterday or the day before, um, and, and I, I really I have to compliment the cops. Right. They were down there in about yeah. 20 seconds. You know, you, you, you realise they are responsible for it. Yeah. Because yeah. this is sacred ground. Yeah. These steps, these parliamentary, theoretically, you're not allowed up here. Okay. Theoretically, they can chuck you down, but there's no point chucking old people up yeah. the steps. You know, it's not like the biblical days. Yeah. These are sacred stairs. Yeah. People have died on these stairs in the 1860s during demonstrations. Yeah. They have died on these stairs. People have poisoned themselves on these stairs because they've had uh, issues with the government, died on these stairs. And I don't know if anybody starved themselves to death, but they have, people have died on these stairs for, you know, to protect their yeah. rights and freedoms. Yeah. So they own this bloody forecourt and they own those stairs. But these stairs... If they try to move you, they can't. That's the steps, is That's it? the steps, okay. the eight steps. Yeah. If they try to move you, unless you're causing obstruction, they can't. Obviously, you've got 24-hour surveillance, yeah. and they are responsible for yeah. security. I mean, they're the, uh, what we call the bodgy police. Yeah. You know, they're not the real police, but... <laughs> yeah. I, I started out at Flinders Street. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all of us started out well, at Flinders Street. Well, you had the real police down there, yeah. Uh, they were still pretty cooperative, yeah. you know, but uh, it was a whole lot more flack down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they would have been, yeah. Uh, we, we talked about it because uh, with Parliament recess, there's not nearly as many people up here now. No. Uh, but I just didn't feel I, I feel up to all the flack that I would have to have to face down there. Well, I think it's a matter of if you've got if you've got children who are coming and going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're a responsible adult. You've got yeah. you've got to make responsible decisions. Yeah. Uh, have you got any? Um, how long do you think you'll, this will go on for? What happens if you only get 11? Are you going to continue this till Christmas? Yeah. yeah. You are, are you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, I, what, I happens, what happens if your doctor says, look, uh, Dave, uh, I don't like this last set of numbers? <laughs> well, uh, I've got a good doctor in the sense that um, he admits he, he, he's not that experienced with uh, starvation. I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't <laughs> you know, get many customers like that, he says. But uh, um, he says, I respect... You're right as a patient to make your decisions. I'll do everything I can, you know, to, to make it as easy as possible for you. You realise that under the law in this state, that if you get to the stage where you become disorientated, or that you can actually be forcefully removed for your own protection. Um, because I'm not, I'm not aware of the, of the because of you the haven't got print. the capacity. Once you've yeah. lost the capacity to make decisions. The state can intervene, and normally does. I have the support of my family, which I hope I hope will be uh, good enough if they, if anyone wants to sort of. So are, you, are you seriously telling me that you'll be willing to die for this? I would be willing, but I think I think that could be an exaggeration in the sense that I mean we've discussed it, and uh, uh, I would if I was going to die, I'd die of a heart attack because it'll just be something that comes. Yeah. Because there will be some point at which I would collapse. Yes. And I've said to my wife then, well. <laughs> You know, I mean, even if I have a heart attack, you just leave my body that lying here. You know, uh, then someone's going to have to take to me to, to the hospital, yes. and they they will probably you know feed me intravenously or something. That would have been that run triple O by then, and the ambulance would be here. Yeah. Michael would be here. Yeah. But um, you really think it's worth this effort? This is a huge effort. It's not just a strain on you. You're a very small community. You come from. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're living together. 
you haven't got any resources. Uh, you've got kids that you grandkids that you know your kids are responsible for. Um, it's a huge burden. Or do you see it as a liberation more than a burden? Oh yeah. I mean, I I, I said to somebody yesterday, I've never felt more alive. You know, somebody somebody wrote into a forum and said uh, you're wasting your life. And I said, wasting my life? Do you think I'd do better if I stayed home watching reruns of sitcoms? That's right. You know, I mean, what do old people do with their lives yeah, if not, yeah, yeah, you know, fight to right. the fight to the death for a cause? Well, well you got you got to fight to the end. I, yeah. I'm 100 percent in agreement with you. I mean, there's different ways of fighting. Yeah. I always, my belief is there's no point dying. I mean, I'm not. A, I haven't got a shred of martyrdom in my soul. Yeah. But uh, historically, see, people have done that. See, the other thing is, I'm a pacifist. Okay, and uh, if I'm outraged at what the government's doing, you know, I can I can go shoot people. But, you know, that's an eye for an eye, and it makes the whole world blind, according to Gandhi. Um, and so, to express that outrage uh, to the point that I may die is, is no more brave, I don't think, than a soldier who goes out there and gets himself no, well, shot. I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. that what you're doing yeah. is brave. Yeah. What yeah. you're doing is principled. Yeah. There's a difference yeah. between yeah. being brave and being principled. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are brave because they're thrown into situations and they... Yeah got to extract themselves from that situation yeah. but you're here on a principle yeah. and what is that principle again what what is the principle ah no, that's a that's a deep question because you know there's you know there's many things from my whole background and, and particularly as a christian uh that, that come together um and i don't know that i have them all merged in the right proper way but i do believe that there's a day of judgment. Right. You know? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very, uh, what we call a churchy term to say. Yeah, very old-fashioned term. Yeah. Old-fashioned churchy term, a day of judgment. Mm. But I, I believe that the whole uh, climate change movement is saying the same thing. You know, essentially, it, it's just that now we're beginning to see that greed actually is destroying the earth. You're kidding. <laughs> Dave, you're kidding. What a profound statement. I mean, not, nobody in there knows that. Well, a few of them That's know. That's the point. That's you the say? point. I mean, you and I know it's the most bloody obvious thing so you can obvious. say. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's becoming, I think to the masses, it's becoming more, yeah. more obvious yeah. uh, in, in, the, in the case of using up resources. That's right. And, and it's just a, such a, a powerful, to me, really, yeah. again, you know, I'll go for supernatural, you go for whatever you, <laughs> explanation you want to give. But yeah. why is it that 2,000 years ago, in, in the book of Revelation, talking about the apocalypse and everything, uh, it, it finishes by saying God is going to destroy those who destroy the earth. They, they had no concept of destroying the earth back then. You know, I, I mean, I just see that as prophetic and 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 what it's really all comes down to. Uh, we talk, are destroying the earth. Uh, you're talking about the apocalypse. Now, yeah, and uh, um, you, you don't think that uh, the current U.S. president is the uh, key. <laughs> To that happening. You haven't gone back to your traditional conservative yeah. Christian fundamentalist look, beliefs. Look, if, if it's anywhere, it'd be on the Antichrist side. On oh, the Antichrist side. Yeah. Yeah. So is he the Antichrist that's going to bring in the apocalypse? No, I, I actually think that America's going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. You know? And I don't think it's that far off. Is that, thing, it's, is that why you think in 67 you made that decision to come across? You know, when we got on that plane, we would not have been surprised to look out the window and see California dropping into the ocean. We didn't say it. You know, we didn't say it to anyone. But that was kind of the feeling we had way back in 1967, is that we want to be out of this country when, when judgment hits. Um, yeah. And so, 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 so we, we have a vengeful God, do we? <laughs> I hope we're not getting into an atheist Christian. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just interested because to we me, have God that's angry. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. To, me, I mean, to me, look, I, I'm an atheist, but yeah. To me, if there's a God, I think they'd all. That, I mean, we're his children. You think he'd show some, you know, give us a bit of leeway, give us a bit of help. Well, that's the trouble. I think he's given us too much leeway. Mm, you know, if, yeah. I, if I was going to tell him how to do his business, right. you know, what would you tell we, him? Because we've made such a mess of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, so you think God's a deadbeat father? Then he's. No. Created us and walked away. No, no, I, I, I think uh, this is what I see. He's given us this incredible garden that I think he even, I mean, he loves us too, but I think mm. he loves that garden he made. 
you know, I just see this as the center of the universe. Right. Uh, there's, there's so far no evidence to indicate otherwise, and that it's just so complex, this garden that we're living in, yep. that if we mess around and raise the temperature by three or four degrees, we destroy it. Well, of course we do. Of course we do. And, and he's not, yeah. he's not happy about yeah. that. Well, look, I've got my own theory. Uh, yeah, which, sure. Which I've painted. It's called the Joe Toscano theory of a climate <laughs> emergency. Yeah. And yeah. it's a, an experiment you can do in your own home. Yeah. You buy a little, a big plastic dome or a glass dome, right? Yeah. You put some mice in there. Yeah. Beautiful garden. You let them go, go for it. Yeah. And what happens? They overpopulate. Yeah. The food disappears. The atmosphere gets polluted, and they die. Yeah. It's the same with the human race. We live on a the Earth, yeah. a molten ball with molten material in the middle, a very thin atmosphere, yeah. and there's more and more of us. We've got limited resources. Well, that's what I don't understand, Dave. You, you teach me and teach our listeners why can't people see this? Right, exactly. That's that's the one thing in your illustration that's missing. We understand. You know, we, we know what's happening. The mice don't. So we could do things that would, would change that. Yeah, but why, why, why don't is, we? Is it because we're dominated by corporate capitalism and, and, and greed is the, the essence of everyday existence? Is, is, it, is it because of our, our cultural uh, predilections? Is it because... Why? I mean, look, if, 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 I put, if someone puts their hands on a stove, they know not to put their hands back there unless they're a, you know, a masochist, all right? And we can see the evidence everywhere, but people in authority and many ordinary people are not accepting the evidence which has been collected over decades by experts. They don't even believe what they see with their own eyes. Well, I think part of the problem, Joseph, is that they can't see it. You know, uh, uh, Climate change is a really big concept, and it's, it is future. Uh, but the, the evidence from the experts is we have to act now, you know, People are going to be, you know, all over the place running, trying to find some solution when it's too late, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, it, I mean, it's like faith in God. You know, if I can't see it, it's not real. Or if I can't see uh, uh, radiation, it's not real. Yeah, but we can see, we can see climate change. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not right there in their face. You know, and I, I think one of the problems we had just recently is, you know, having now with forest fires, it, yeah, it's good to say this is caused by climate change, but the next day it turns cold like it is today, and immediately everyone's lost. Ah, I was fooled yesterday. You know, I thought I thought we were on fire already, and don't realize that the, the fire is it only has to be four degrees. It doesn't have to be. You know, That's right. So your fast yeah. is about uh, pushing people's eyes back to the issue, put, directing their eyes to the issue. Is that what this fast is about? Uh, certainly, with the, the, the literature we're passing out, but I think more than anything, it is trying to say the issue is important. And we need to say that not only to the, the members of Parliament and the public, but even to ourselves. Right. It's important. Uh, I just love this quote from uh, a guy named Mark Boyle in, in the UK. The soldiers of war are braver than the soldiers of peace. And that even we demonstrators start falling apart if somebody might die. Well, soldiers don't do that. That's part of the war. Yeah. Mm. So, if you survive this, I'm sure you will. Yeah, yeah. Unless you have that heart attack that <laughs> you keep talking yeah. about. And that's, what, <laughs> that's my concern. Yeah. Um, what are your plans for the future? Uh, I think I'll just go back to, to, to what I've been doing. Which um, is what? Uh, living by faith. Right. Um, and trying to encourage other people along those lines. Uh, I, I will certainly want to stay in touch with Extinction Rebellion. Uh, we've been inspired uh, to start what we were thinking of as a bicycle village as a change in our lifestyle. We're trying to get it closer, you know, to, to what it should be. Um, we eat meat, but we eat it because it's been thrown out. You know, we dumpster dive. Um, but we, we've bought cheap meat at times. We decided let's stop doing that. You know, just a tiny little adjustment. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been changed as well. And I think every one of us, we can, we can set the bar a little bit higher uh, instead of looking at others and saying, well, I'm doing more than what the others are. So... Have Extinction Rebellion taking you to their hearts, or are you more like of an out, outlying uh, uh, group? Well, you see, we landed here so quickly, so many of us. I think yes. some were a bit frightened, you know, what is this? Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and could these be crazies? You know, yes. I mean, you can. Yeah. You get anorexics up here, you know, yes. starving themselves to death and not even knowing what they, what they stand yeah. for. 
But yeah, I mean, see, the, the flag is flying today, yes. and yeah, and the, so the support is it's growing. Is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even for the start, I joined Extinction yes. Rebellion, right. and and uh, and yet, and they said I'm free to do it on my own. Right. Um, but so, basically, so are you doing this on your own now? And the movement has moved away in a different direction. They're doing it, it, their own activities, it, it and you and your with, family. It did go on with other activities, but yeah. um, it, the support's coming back. Support's coming back. Yeah. And, and how, how many around the world are still left fasting on uh, day 19? The last I heard is that there's a guy in Israel who's actually gone longer than I have, right. and um, very thin, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's, you know, you know, really somebody to be admired. If he's if he's still there doing it, would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are four or five in London. Right. Uh, so. Now, the interesting thing is quite a few of us are grandparents. Yes. You know, and well, I think well, that's wonderful. Think, that, yeah. Because, you know, the young people, we don't want them losing their lives no, or, or no. damaging their health. No. They're needed out there to just do practical things. Yeah, this is, some people call this voluntary euthanasia. <laughs> <laughs> Hope not. Hope not. <laughs> so, what can people do to help? What can, look, irrespective of what I think of your religious beliefs, which is yeah. irrelevant because I'm just chatting to you, yeah. and irrespective of what our listeners think, obviously what you're doing here is highlighting an extremely urgent, important issue. As you said, it's an emergency, and you're trying to get 12 parliamentarians to actually acknowledge, that state parliamentarians acknowledge there is a climate emergency. What do you think listeners should do to assist them? This particular campaign. Okay, this is this particular campaign. They need to, and they've probably heard it a thousand times, write to their member of parliament. Right. And, and believe me, it, it makes a difference. And mention the uh, uh, the hunger strike and uh, tell them they think it's urgent and, and they would like to have them declare where they are. Uh, you know, that list of 12 can include 12 people who say they don't believe there's a danger. Right, you know? right. They don't dare say that because they know they know it's an emergency. But, but specifically ask them to use the word emergency. Emergency. See, because the parliamentarians will all say, oh, I'm deeply concerned. Deeply and, and, concerned. And listen to all the things I've done. You know? oh, listen to all the things I've yeah. done. Listen that's, that's to. Pretty much not, what, not, not look at what I've done, but listen to what I've well, said. Even, listen it, to what I've said, not yeah, what look I've at done. Me. I was at the logging demonstration, okay. such a, such yeah, a, yeah. Um, yeah, so they all tell you what they've done, and, yes. and that's fine, whatever they've done, but is it an emergency? You know, if it's an emergency, let's stop talking about what we've done and, and, and a personal level right. you know I mean I have to ask myself have I done enough that every one of us look for ways that we can we can up it don't don't say oh well I you know I stopped using yeah. plastic bags so I, I've yeah. done my duty yeah it's, 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 it's interesting when you use the word emergency because we love to pat ourselves on the back as a nation we say that when there's an emergency the best the best in us rises to the top and yeah. we stick together and it will I think it will once we, th- we believe it yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you think that will happen? I certainly hope that will happen. All right. Now, just in the last final moments, do you have any advice, general advice, for us, for the listeners to this program? Because we will podcast the program and it will be there for years. General advice. You've been on the planet for 75 years. You've lived an extraordinary life, whether we agree or disagree with how you live. You've got an extraordinary uh, faith. Um, and you've lived by your faith and you've reared your children by your faith and now your grandchildren and you've influenced many members in the community and now you're making this stand at 75. Can you give us some advice? I don't think I can do much better than uh, uh, Gandhi quote again. And, and that is if we haven't found anything worth dying for, we probably don't have anything worth living for. Thank you very much, Dave. And on, on that note, we'll end the interview. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I'll come, I'll come and drop in every few days, see how you're going. And uh, if you need external cardiac massage, <laughs> I, I'm the man for you. Okay? Okay, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good on you, mate. Okay.
could see no way to keep my body still. When you heard the call, you left me on my own. I could see. No reason to find my way back home. And the woodsman lives by the river in the valley. And he waits for me like a spider between.